Book Seven, Sections Ten through Twelve of Politics by Aristotle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Politics by Aristotle, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Book Seven, Sections Ten through Twelve. Ten. It is not a new or recent discovery of political philosophers that the state ought to be divided into classes, and that the warriors should be separated from the husbandmen. This system has continued in Egypt and Crete to this day, and was established, as tradition says, by a law of Sesostris in Egypt and of Minos in Crete. The institution of common tables also appears to be of ancient date, being in Crete as old as the reign of Minos, and in Italy far older. The Italian historians say that there was a certain Italus, king of Anotria, from whom the Anotrians were called Italians, and who gave the name of Italy to the promontory of Europe lying within the Silenic and Lamanic gulfs, which are distant from one another only half a day's journey. They say that this Italus converted the Anotrians from shepherds into husbandmen, and besides other laws which he gave them was the founder of their common meals. Even in our day some who are derived from him retain this institution and certain other laws of his. On the one side of Italy, towards Tyrrhenia, dwelt the Opici, who are now, as of old, called Asonais, and on the side towards Eopesia and the Ionian Gulf, in the district called Cerritus, the Chonis, who are likewise of Onotrian race. From this part of the world originally came the institution of common tables, the separation into castes from Egypt, for the reign of Sesostris is of far greater antiquity than that of Minos. It is true, indeed, that these and many other things have been invented several times over in the course of ages, or rather times without number, for necessity may be supposed to have taught men the inventions which were absolutely required and, when these were provided, it was natural that other things which would adorn and enrich life should grow up by degrees. And we may infer that in political institutions the same rule holds. Egypt witnesses to the antiquity of all these things, for the Egyptians appear to be of all people the most ancient, and they have laws and a regular constitution existing from time immemorial. We should, therefore, make the best use of what has already been discovered, and try to supply defects. I have already remarked that the land ought to belong to those who possess arms and have a share in the government, and that the husbandmen ought to be a class distinct from them, and I have determined what should be the extent and nature of the territory. Let me proceed to discuss the distribution of the land, and the character of the agricultural class, for I do not think that property ought to be common, as some maintain, but only that by friendly consent there should be a common use of it, and that no citizen should be in want of subsistence. As to common meals, there is a general agreement that a well-ordered city should have them, and we will hereafter explain what are our own reasons for taking this view. They ought, however, to be open to all the citizens. And yet it is not easy for the poor to contribute the requisite sum out of their private means, and to provide also for their household. The expense of religious worship should likewise be a public charge. The land must, therefore, be divided into two parts, one public and the other private, 
and each part should be subdivided, part of the public land being appropriated to the service of the gods, and the other part used to defray the cost of the common meals, while of the private land, part should be near the border, and the other near the city, so that, each citizens having two lots, they may all of them have land in both places. There is justice and fairness in such a division, and it tends to inspire unanimity among the people in their border wars. Where there is not this arrangement, some of them are too ready to come to blows with their neighbors, while others are so cautious that they quite lose the sense of honor. Wherefore there is a law in some places which forbids those who dwell near the border to take part in public deliberations about wars with neighbors, on the ground that their interests will pervert their judgment. For the reasons already mentioned, then, the land should be divided in the manner described. The very best thing of all would be that the husbandmen should be slaves taken from among men who are not all of the same race and not spirited, for if they have no spirit they will be better suited for their work, and there will be no danger of their making a revolution. The next best thing would be that they should be periochi of foreign race, and of a like inferior nature. Some of them should be the slaves of individuals, and employed in the private estates of men of property. The remainder should be the property of the state, and employed on the common land. I will hereafter explain what is the proper treatment of slaves, and why it is expedient that liberty should be always held out to them as the reward of their services. 11. We have already said that the city should be open to the land and to the sea, and to the whole country as far as possible. In respect of the place itself, our wish would be that its situation should be fortunate in four things. The first, health. This is a necessity. Cities which lie towards the east, and are blown upon by winds coming from the east, are the healthiest. Next in healthfulness are those which are sheltered from the north wind, for they have a milder winter. The side of the city should likewise be convenient both for political administration and for war. With a view to the latter, it should afford easy egress to the citizens, and at the same time be inaccessible and difficult of capture to the enemies. There should be a natural abundance of springs and fountains in the town, or, if there is a deficiency of them, great reservoirs may be established for the collection of rainwater, such as will not fail when the inhabitants are cut off from the country by war. Special care should be taken of the health of the inhabitants, which will depend chiefly on the healthiness of the locality and of the quarter to which they are exposed, and secondly on the use of pure water. This latter point is by no means a secondary consideration. For the elements which we use most and oftenest for the support of the body contribute most to the health, and among these are water and air. Wherefore, in all wise states, if there is a want of pure water, and the supply is not all equally good, the drinking water ought to be separated from that which is used for other purposes. As to strongholds, what is suitable to different forms of government varies. Thus an acropolis is suited to an oligarchy or a monarchy, but a plain to democracy, neither to an aristocracy, but rather a number of strong places. The arrangement of private houses is considered to be more agreeable and generally more convenient, if the streets are regularly laid out after the modern fashion which Hippodamus introduced, but for security in war the antiquated mode of building, which made it difficult for strangers to get out of a town and for assailants to find their way in, is preferable. 
A city should, therefore, adopt both plans of building. It is possible to arrange the houses irregularly, as husbandmen plant their vines in what are called clumps. The whole town should not be laid out in straight lines, but only certain quarters and regions. Thus security and beauty will be combined. As to walls, those who say that cities making any pretension to military virtue should not have them, are quite out of date in their notions, and they may see the cities which prided themselves on this fancy confuted by facts. True, there is little courage shown in seeking for safety behind a rampart, when an enemy is similar in character and not much superior in number, but the superiority of the besiegers may be, and often is, too much, both for ordinary human valor and for that which is found only in a few. And if they are to be saved and to escape defeat and outrage, the strongest wall will be the truest soldierly precaution, more especially now that missiles and siege engines have been brought to such perfection. To have no walls would be as foolish as to choose a site for a town in an exposed country, and to level the heights, or, as if an individual were to leave his house unwalled, lest the inmates should become cowards. Nor must we forget that those who have their cities surrounded by walls may either take advantage of them or not, but cities which are unwalled have no choice. If our conclusions are just, not only should cities have walls, but care should be taken to make them ornamental as well as useful for warlike purposes, and adapted to resist modern inventions. For, as the assailants of a city do all they can to gain an advantage, so the defenders should make use of any means of defense which have already been discovered, and should devise and invent others, for when men are well prepared, no enemy even thinks of attacking them. 12. As the walls are to be divided by guard-houses and towers built at suitable intervals, and the body of citizens must be distributed at common tables, the idea will naturally occur that we should establish some of the common tables in the guard-houses. These might be arranged, as has been suggested, while the principal common tables of the magistrates will occupy a suitable place, and there also will be the buildings appropriated to religious worship, except in the case of those rites which the law or the Pythian oracle has restricted to a special locality. The site should be a spot seen far and wide, which gives due elevation to virtue and towers over the neighborhood. Below this spot should be established an agora, such as that which the Thessalians call the freeman's agora. From all this trade should be excluded, and no mechanic, husbandman, or any such person allowed to enter, unless he be summoned by the magistrates. It would be a charming use of the place if the gymnastic exercises of the elder men were performed there. For in this noble practice different ages should be separated, and some of the magistrates should stay with the boys, while the grown-up men remain with the magistrates, for the presence of the magistrates is the best mode of inspiring true modesty and ingenious fear. There should also be a traitor's agora, distinct and apart from the other, in a situation which is convenient for the reception of goods, both by sea and land. But in speaking of the magistrates, we must not forget another section of the citizens, viz., the priests, for whom public tables should likewise be provided in their proper place near the temples. The magistrates who deal with contracts, indictments, summonses, and the like, and those who have the care of the agora and of the city, respectively, ought to be established near an agora and in some public place of meeting. 
the neighborhood of the trader's agora will be a suitable spot. The upper agora we devote to the life of leisure, the other is intended for the necessities of trade. The same orders should prevail in the country, for there, too, the magistrates, called by some inspectors of forests, and by others wardens of the country, must have guard-houses and common tables while they are on duty. Temples should also be scattered throughout the country, dedicated some to gods and some to heroes. But it would be a waste of time for us to linger over details like these. The difficulty is not in imagining, but carrying them out. We may talk about them as much as we like, but the execution of them will depend upon fortune. Wherefore, let us say no more about these matters for the present. End of Book 7, Sections 10-12